The following is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Hackey Reitman. Welcome to the 100th episode of Exploring Different Brains, the interview show that advocates for neurodiversity. I've interviewed almost 100 of the world's neurodiversity leaders, many of whom are neurodiverse themselves. So for this special episode, what we're going to do is we're going to show you in their own words, some of these great people, what they had to say about all of our brains being different and all of the things that society needs to do to understand and embrace neurodiversity for the benefit of all of us. Different Brains, Inc. is a 501c3 nonprofit, and I don't think any of us here would be considered neurotypical. We're a bunch of diverse individuals making media, advocating for neurodiversity, and trying to get the world to understand that it cannot be one size fits all. We believe that each of us deserves the opportunity to maximize potential for independence, for productivity, for health, happiness, and safety. We are supporting all neurodiversity, all brains, from autism through Alzheimer's, from addiction through pain syndrome, from dyslexia to Tourette's syndrome, and any kind of neurodiversity you can think of. It affects all of us, and we all have to get together to make sure that each of us has the best chance to maximize our potential. So let's begin by hearing from some brilliant previous guests as they discuss and highlight the need for society to make sure that each of us has a shot at success. Dr. Bankole Johnson. Well, you know, one of the interesting things that we, we've learned in neurodiversity is, and here's another myth that has come that, that I, I would love to dispel for you, is that everybody's brain is the same. Everybody's brain is not the same. It's not even close. And, and in fact, well, part of the problem is we all process information slightly differently. We may all, depending on our genetic makeup, develop different types of signaling pathways in response to different types of sensations. And therefore, everybody's brain is not the same. That's why the path for medicine into the future is this aspect of personalized medicine. Because we finally realize that you can't treat everyone the same and expect to get the same result and that treatments need to be individualized. And we have very powerful tools at the present time for individualizing medical practice. The question is, how long is it going to take us to educate all doctors to be able to do this? Dr. Gail Saltz. In your definition of the power of different, tell me what that is from your point of view. Sure. Um, it is the fact that there are certain 
differences that occur in the brain from a, a wiring perspective, I'll say, um, that may cause one to present with some symptoms, symptoms of depression, anxiety, difficulty concentrating, um, maybe difficulty socially relating to others. Um, maybe it's even psychotic thinking, or maybe it is a learning disability of some sort. But those same differences in wiring that may cause particular symptoms often have a very strong correlation to uh, wiring that also presents as a very particular strength. So the potential for great ability or, you know, literally that great ability that often leads to extraordinary success or talent um, and even in some instances, genius. Dr. Stephen Shore, like you said, focus on the positive. What do you like and connect at that point? Right. And what, and what it is, is it's a matter of transitioning from what I call the deficit model of autism. And there's so much focus on what can't be done uh, towards an abilities-based model. So we need to really be asking the question, what can that person with autism do? And then work from there. Jessica Tom. I have access to biscuit. Uh, biscuit. I'm a big fan of a way of thinking about disability called the social model of disability. Um, biscuit. And the social model of disability has had such a big impact on me because it doesn't it, it understands that people aren't disabled by their impairments it's normal to have bodies and minds that work differently people are disabled by environments attitudes and systems that don't consider difference in how they're set up but the really exciting thing about that is that just by thinking about difference and thinking about different types of people we can create less disabling spaces biscuit hedgehog biscuit Dr. Matthew Schnipps. If you have something that's different about your brain, it doesn't mean that you're not a productive citizen, that you can't make important contributions. In many cases, the unusual perspective you bring can open up new ways of thinking that's very valuable to society. So, so the fact that our brains are different makes it possible for us to do things other people can't. An important part of maximizing potential is receiving support, be it from organizations or from loved ones. That's true for all of us. None of us can do it alone. Let's hear from some of our previous guests on the importance of support. Tom McGranahan. So when you have epilepsy, like with all kinds of other ailments, you realize you take different steps. You have to look at things in different ways to get your journey accomplished. But it doesn't mean you stop your journey. It means you just change it. You just look into it more about what's necessary, what steps to best get to the go-ahead with things. And that's why it's so good having family and others. And by the way, I blame my wife. I tell everybody, if it wasn't for her, I'd be dead by now. I wouldn't have to be paying my taxes. I wouldn't have to be brushing my teeth. I wouldn't have to do any of that stuff. <laughs> but it's a good problem to have. A lot of people with disabilities, it's the love and care of others that helps us through the times. And then when they see us staying strong, it helps them to stay strong. So it works both ways. David Grant. Most brain injury survivors lose 80% of their friends in the first year, which was our case. People that were close to socially 
knew that I was different. And human nature is what it is. When things are different, you back away from that which you don't understand. But the book goes on to say, don't worry, because the void that was left with those that have left your life will soon become filled with others. And I look at um, people who are part of my inner circle now, and they are the most cherished relationships I've ever had. They're more meaningful. They're not superficial. And if I sense superficiality, I mentioned in one of my, my points earlier about surround people with those that have your best interests in heart. If it's superficial, um, I, you know, life is fast. It goes by quickly. And I choose to spend time with those that I cherish. Complicated, not an easy answer. Uh, complicated stuff. Um, but it's common. You know, I'm not unique in this. Sean Smith. Well, you know, a lot of parents come to me and, and they think that I'm going to work with their kids. And probably 95% of the time, I work with the parents. The kid's awesome. You know, it's, it's the world in which we live in and, and how things are framed. And so an example would be, you know, when a, a parent will come to me and say, you know, my kid's isolating. And, you know, they're, they're spending a lot of time, you know, watching TV or on their electronics. And so I, I reframe that for them. You know, if 90% of your day consisted of being told that what you're doing is wrong, would you want to spend time with you? Stacy Hoagland. Well, quality of life is something that everybody wants, no matter if you have a disability or you don't. And if you spend day after day being beaten over the head where your weaknesses are, how would you possibly have a quality of life? So by looking at where a person's strengths are and helping guide them down that path is so much more effective. Dr. Temple Grandin. My mother had a really good sense of just how much to stretch me, to stretch me slightly outside my comfort zone so I'd keep learning and doing new things. Uh, it was her idea to have me go out to my aunt's ranch. Then after I'd done my aunt's ranch for two summers, she said, well, let's do something else. And we'll do the aunt's ranch for half the summer, and we'll do an internship at a research lab for the other half of the summer. Also, as an aide for a child with autism, another half of the summer. Always stretching. Never throw, she never threw me in the deep end of the pool, but always stretching and doing new things. I was hostess at her parties when I was seven, eight years old. She got me a sewing job when I was 13 years old. And when I went away to my boarding school, I, was, I ran the horse barn, cleaning stalls every day, putting the horses in and out, feeding the horses. And now when I look back on it, Riding the horses are really fun, but actually the most important thing for my development was running the horse barn and learning how to work. Michael Alessandri. At the end of the day, you know, what I've learned in the last 20 years since I've been here in South Florida is that it's, you know, it's, it's always got to be about the client. It's always got to be at the end of the day about the person who is living with autism or with any disability and the family that surrounds them. You know, if, if you lose focus on that, then you've really kind of lost the plot. Completely. I mean, our role as professionals is to facilitate um, what the individuals with autism and related disabilities want for themselves and want for the community in which they live. If we get in the way of that, you know, we haven't done anyone any good. So we really need to listen more. You know, we do a lot of talking, those of us who are professionals, and I think sometimes we need to step back, silence ourselves, and really listen. And not just listen to words, listen to actions, listen to movements, listen to behavior, you know, listen carefully to what. Uh, the community is telling us that it needs. Dr. J.R. Harding. And relates back to the blog that I wrote for you guys, which is having the courage to ask for help or the courage to self-identify 
the courage to express what your accommodation needs are. And that means understanding who you are, what you're good at, and what tools you need to do the job, whatever that job might be. And that took me a little while, Hacky. It did. It, it took me a little while to be okay with knocking on your door and say, you know, hey, Professor so-and-so, uh, I need some guidance here, or I need some tutoring here, or where do I get this vehicle? Who makes the, the Starship Enterprise, right? Or who, who does modifications, or my dorm room needs this, or my workplace, I need this tool. And that was part of when I got hired here, the first thing they asked me was, what accommodations do you need to excel? I needed to be able to do that and have comfort and confidence in asking what tools I needed to excel here at this position as a faculty member and a leader in the university change model here. And so going back to other folks, they need to not to be afraid because you know what? The person on the other side is more afraid than you are because they have absolutely no idea where to come from and you need to guide them down the path together. At Different Brains, we believe that everyone benefits through collaboration. We want to encourage organizations, individuals to collaborate, get together, share things. Don't be off in separate silos and don't be fighting with each other. One organization that offers a good example of the value of collaboration is Nova Southeastern's University TREAD program. Let's hear from its founder, Dr. Tom Temple, about their philosophy. This is really um, a magnus opus. Uh, George Hanbury's vision of basically creating a research infrastructure that not only produces great ideas, but harnesses those ideas in a meaningful way. The work that we're doing is really just transdisciplinary, global, innovative, and focused on things that we do well, and in looking at the prescient diseases of our time. While we can all agree on the value of support and collaboration, to truly achieve all of these goals, we got to get rid of the stigma that's involved. If somebody has a different brain, it's much more stigmatizing. We want to get rid of that. So we've been fortunate enough to highlight several organizations and individuals who are making great strides at battling stigma. Let's hear from just a few of them. Dr. Stephen Roenick. When we talk about uh, entities such as Asperger's and autism, mm -hmm. I make the analogy that it's kind of like uh, being gay 50 years ago. You want to stay in the closet. Right, you know, right, and, and right. Uh, we graduated last year three Aspie interns, mm -hmm. and they're all doing great. They're all in college, right. and not one of them is going to ask for the accommodations that would make their life so much easier because wow. they don't want to get that stigmatized, and yeah. it's a shame. Yeah, well, what happens is, you know, rec what recovery is about, where you get to the point, you see, you shouldn't, it is a shame. People shouldn't be ashamed that they have any condition, Asperger's included especially, right? Any autism spectrum-related disorder. First of all, they're super common, right? just like mental health conditions are super common. One in five Americans at any given time has a mental health condition. So um, that is a shame. Um, but, um, and, and folks sometimes do need um, 
accommodations, and they should get accommodations. And hopefully over time there'll be less stigma around that. Yeah. To, to, to us, the ideal is to get them to where their condition is incidental, where it doesn't define them, right? They might happen to have diabetes, they might happen to have Asperger's, they might happen to have schizophrenia, whatever it might be, right? You don't want them to be defined by their condition. It's something they have. It's incidental to who they are as a person, not the defining feature. Not that they don't accept that they have it, but people have a life beyond what their condition is, not to be completely identified by your condition. And when you are identified by your condition and people call folks diabetics or schizophrenics, even how we use language can matter sometimes, you're defining people by their condition and that's not good for them or for anybody. Dr. Steve Perlman. Right. You know, one of the, one of the, I think the biggest messages that we can convey is that this population doesn't need pity. Before Special Olympics, you know, Special Olympics has been credited with bringing people with intellectual disabilities out of the shadows of neglect and into the mainstream of life. But more important, to show the world what they can do rather than what they can't do. Denise Karp. The best thing that you guys can do really is to bring everything out in the open and get it out there and talk about it. And even if you don't have any answers, just keep asking the questions. I mean, that, that's the most important thing, you know, autism awareness and, and, and all that. I know a lot of people look down on autism awareness months, oh, you know, it's just a, a public relations thing. It, I, I don't believe that for a moment. It's just very important that people know how many, many, many people have autism, are autistic, and it does affect everyone. Get the word out. Sarah Weir. We felt that it was very important to put a stake in the ground that individuals with Down syndrome have all of the potential in the world to achieve their own hopes, dreams, and aspirations. But for the only thing that holds them back are archaic, outdated laws. And as an organization, we want to change those laws to empower individuals with Down syndrome to live long, healthy lives, seek out inclusive educational opportunities, seek out full and competitive employment. And when I say employment, I'm not just talking about a job, I'm talking about a career. And of course, be a meaningful, contributing part of society and be integrated into the community in a very competitive way. So we're very proud of our mission and we have an amazing team behind this organization that's fighting for the rights of people with Down syndrome each and every day. When it comes to what differentbrains.org stands for, it's for ending this idea that one size fits all. When we end stigma and work together to help those of us with different brains to achieve maximum potential, we've truly reached the point where society understands and embraces neurodiversity for the benefit of all of us. So let's end this episode by hearing from the brilliant Dr. Stephen Shaw one more time. From the entire Different Brains team, Thank you for watching and for being part of our growing community. And I think what we need to consider is that if an autistic person is fulfilled and productive with their life, then that's a success. And for some of us, it might be serving as a university professor. For others, it might be at Microsoft. For others, it might be working at a car wash. Uh, for others, it might be fixing lawnmower engines. And whatever it is, 
if we get that match between interest and skill and ability, wherever it is, then we have the recipe for a fulfilling and productive life. And I think that's universal. It works for everybody, whether they're on the autism spectrum or not. Exploring Different Brains is a production of Different Brains, Inc. For more information, visit us at differentbrains.org.